I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome to Science in Africa, a Nature Careers podcast series. I am Akinjimo, Chief Editor of Nature Africa. I work and live in Lagos and I'm passionate about promoting science and public health journalism in my native Nigeria and across Africa. In this series, we explore the practice of science in this wonderful continent, the progress, the issues, the needs, and in the worlds of the African scientists who are based here. In this fourth episode, we speak again to Professor Oyewale Tomori, a Nigerian virologist who is well known for his media commentary of the COVID-19 pandemic. He previously worked for the World Health Organization and now acts as government advisor on disease outbreaks. So, how did Africa respond to the coronavirus emergency? The epidemiology of COVID in Africa is different from what is happening in Europe and other parts. That's number one. And I think we should have recognized that before we, we, we planned our response. Unfortunately, as always with Africa, we were depending on the West to guide us on what to do. But I must say that both the West and all of us were totally ignorant about COVID. Nobody knew what we were talking about. We were gambling, we were just acting on the spot of the moment. We were running after the epidemic. We we'll make our response based on what information we have. If it changes tomorrow, we change our response. And Africa was following gullibly, just like that. But yet, we were dealing with two different epidemics because of certain factors. Population dynamics in Africa and all that kind of thing. So whatever disaster was happening in other parts of the world was not that pronounced in the African region. But then our approach should not have been like what it did in Europe, but should have been according to what information we have on our own. So there was varied response. Sure, it has to be, but we didn't. What happened? Ideally, we should have looked at that environment and decided our response. But if you remember at the beginning, everybody locked down whether you're in Africa or whatever. Hmm. Uh, so did we really need to lock down? Well, I don't think so. Yeah. Bandwagon effect? Yeah, effect. That was it. Hmm. But it was bandwagon in which the leader was as equally as blind as the rest of us. Hmm. So it was the blind leading the blind. Hmm. That's why we have with COVID today. Hmm. And you can, you can, sorry, you can see what is happening with the vaccination. Yeah. And the vaccines are coming up. 
we knew when you get a vaccine, this is you get protection. But nobody can tell on variants to mess up all of the whatever you built up with your vaccination. So what has been the response to COVID in Nigeria? One of the greatest errors that I keep saying we made was to assume that it was the government that would control the epidemic. It's not the government that controls the epidemic. It's the human being, you and I, that control the epidemic. Forgetting is like taking the public out of public health. That's what happens. And so you sit down at the headquarters and decide, oh, that we set up a committee, this committee will look at it and say, go and that. forgetting that there's a human aspect of it. The, 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 the movement of the, of, of the COVID vaccine, of COVID virus, is from man to man, not from government office. And if I get the, if I obey those things and get the COVID and I don't spread it to you, it dies within me. And therefore, we don't have epidemics going on. Yeah. I think we should have stressed one that the most, the more important player in the COVID epidemic was the human, the public, not the government. Well, you know, at the initial stage, I mean, we know of lockdowns, uh, palliative, mm-hmm. and a number of countries becomes majorly corruption mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say uh, has been done well? You know, looking at all these varied responses, what have we done well? Well, at the global level, I must place kudos to WHO in respect to what people are saying about that. WHO was flexible enough to adapt its response based on the data that was available. I mean, it wasn't a dogmatic thing that this is the way you do it, this is the way you do it. You remember when COVID started, when now you look at the clinical symptoms and other signs and symptoms of COVID. It wasn't what we had when we started from the Wuhan. Now other things have been added. So people are learning along as we go. I think that flexibility will probably be the most sensible thing that we ever had. You know, to then look at it and say, look, this is what we You know, there was a lot of argument whether it was aerosol transmitted or wasn't transmitted by aerosol and all that kind of thing. And then, so response was based on all those things. So back to the situation in Nigeria. I think the first thing that COVID did was to expose the flaws in our health system. You know, like when we started, NCDC said we had only four, three, four laboratories that could diagnose COVID in Nigeria. Why should that be 60 years after independence? That's the question we'll be asking ourselves. Quite agreed that COVID eventually, I mean, NCDC eventually screwed up and we had like about 140 laboratories. But then you want to also see what was behind the building of those laboratories. Did you actually need all the 140 laboratories that they built up? Or could we have done with fewer, better money than we're getting? And the reason I'm saying is that if you go back to NCDC, uh, their website on a daily basis, you find a page with list at least 40 to 50 laboratories that are no longer reporting. Even now? Yeah, even now. On a daily and regular basis. Every week. Go and check their website. They will give you a list of 50 to 40 40 to 50 laboratories that are no longer reporting. So why set up 140 if one third of them are not going to report a few months after you started? These are some of the things about our planning that we need to look at. Did we really plan properly? How many many laboratories do we need? Could we have done with fewer and improved the access of the the laboratories to the states? Those are things, you know, that I think, I hope we're learning 
from what, but unfortunately, many of the African countries, once the epidemic is over, we forget whatever lesson we learned, and then when the next one comes, we start all over again from scratch. Mm. And my worry is that now there's only 40 laboratories at NCDCs that are not functioning. In another, if this epidemic continues, more will join and won't report anymore. Even right now, if you look at the figures of yesterday, only two or three states are reporting. Uh, I think we had eight cases, ten cases, or something of that nature. Not because those are the cases, but it's, it's a measure of who and who is testing. And now we have the uh, National Center for Disease Control in virtually every country across the continent. Uh, we also have the Africa Center for Disease Control, Africa CDC. Um, will you say that these are meeting the expectations so far? For the continent it's a good thing they were set up but it is not setting up it's the operation i would rather have an african center for disease coordination than disease control we should leave the control of those things to the to the lowest level to the local government level to the state level and then at the apex we have a coordinating body not a controlling body and there's a little difference between that because when you are the controlling body, you are now putting all the burden of the 36 or 7 states in the country on your head. If you are coordinating, then you are only dealing with all those all, all those issues about uh, at, at the different levels that require your, your assistance. If we decentralize the control to the lowest level, local government, state level, then our national centers, our African regional centers, will be in a position to assist, to coordinate. Where are their flaws? Where are their problems? These are what they'll be looking at. Not taking upon themselves the issue of the controlling themselves. And I think this is one of the lessons I think we need to learn from what has happened. I'll give you a good example. You remember there was a time when Nigeria imported, uh, I think it was monkeypox, into America. The discovery and all this season was done at the county level. What, that, that would be their local government, okay. our local government. Yeah. The diagnosis, whatever, was done at the local government hospital where it happened. The only time they ever came to their American CDC was when it involved international travel. Hmm. Because, okay, these were coming from this place. What plane did they come by? Who were the passengers? Hmm. All those kind of things. That was when the uh, US CDC came in. But all of the little, little, everything diagnosis was done at the local government level. And within, by the time they finished that one, yeah. they were able to control that one. And that's the message I'm trying to say that we don't need National Center for Disease Control. We need a National Center for Disease Coordination. You know, the, there's this school of thought that Africa has done well when it comes to response to HIV, uh, response to Ebola, and uh, a number of other infectious diseases, uh, response to polio, which you are you know, involved in uh, largely. And, um, but... How has Africa performed when it comes to public communication relating to COVID-19, uh, testing and treatment, research in itself? How has Africa performed, you know, when you compare, when you do a comparative analysis between, you know, response to those other diseases and COVID? You set your own standard for what is doing well. Mm. If it took Nigeria 40 years to eradicate polio, I'm just giving that example. Yeah. And it took under countries 30 years to do it or 20 years to do it. Will you say you did well? I don't know. I mean, these are, that's what I'm talking about this thing. The first time we were able to get this in, I mean, how long, you remember the setback where with polio? 
I mean, when we boycotted vaccination, we did all that one. And then you jump up at the end in 2020 and say Nigeria did well. So boycotting vaccination is at the local level? That's yeah, that was a local level, but it became a gradually a, a national thing we had to solve. But then, so at the end of that, you jump up at 20 and say, we did well. What about during that period of record? The number of children that got infected with polio because you boycotted. So when we talk about doing well, I think it's a relative term. That's number one. As to doing well with the other issues, you know, I think one of the greatest problems that we had with COVID, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. You know, when COVID started, yeah. outside interpretation for Africa was that it's going to be a disaster. Hmm. We are going to have dead bodies on the road. Yeah. You know, I mean, if they couldn't handle Ebola, and this is happening in Europe. I mean, imagine what will happen on, in the state of Africa. Hmm. So at the conceptual level of the African, it was like COVID is going to kill all of us. Yeah. Then we didn't see anybody dying. Hmm. And then the interpretation Why? was that... Why are we not dying? We would, I will talk about that. <laughs> but then the interpretation of that was that COVID is a hoax. Yeah. Because we're not seeing the dead body. Hmm. So when you now say, you, I'm going to die and didn't die, I'm so you're a liar. Hmm. Now you tell me, come and take the vaccine for what I didn't die of, and I'll say, you're a big, bigger liar. Hmm. And so these are the issues that come up. Exactly, we come in. Now, why didn't we die? It's a combination of so many things. If you look at the people, check who are dying in Europe. They're the elderly people, 50 years old, who have comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, whatever. Who are the people getting infected in Africa? I look at our own population pyramid. The majority of us are below 50. Young, energetic people, both in Europe too. These are the people who are asymptomatic. So unless you test them, you won't know you have. Well, so we are, not, we are not doing enough testing. Yeah, we're not. That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm asymptomatic, so I don't know whether I have it. You're not testing me. But remember, when testing started, it was we didn't have the reagents. It was what they gave to us. And so you have to maximize whatever you had. Hmm. The only way to maximize that, let's limit it to all those who are sick only. Yeah. Or maybe closest relation, contact yeah. Yeah. of that person who are sick. So that's why we were testing. And so we're getting 20 instead of getting 200 because we're not testing those who are asymptomatic, who are going all over the place, spreading the disease all over the place. You know, those are the issues. So when our figures were lower, it's not really that the figures are low. And in fact, it's been proven. When you look at the self-surveillance that was done after every wave, you find the numbers jumping up. We started with about 20% in Lagos at that time. The next second wave was 40%. The last study we did was about 70% of the people we tested had antibodies to COVID. Where were they getting it? Huh. So they were infected, but they were not dying. Hmm. So I think these are one, one thing. So immediately that concept of death was associated with COVID. And we did not see death. <laughs> so this was the problem. That's why. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What, what, what has happened? And that's why I was saying that it was left for us at home to sit down and look at our data. Should we have approached it the way they said lockdown? Let me give you a good example. You say keep safe distance. 
in most of our areas, in the slums of Africa, where the rural people are living, 12 people are staying inside one room. Are you going to do safe, safe distancing? But yet, in our own environment, we don't have offices where everybody is under air conditioning. Yeah, we are out there in the open, in our marketplaces. Yeah. You know? So why are we not looking at that and saying, instead of Europe that is locking up because of the people who are congregating their air-conditioned office? Is it the same situation of my, my market street where the sun is there, air is blowing and scattering whatever it is, the version that may be there? Compared with Europe and the U.S., the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in far fewer deaths in Africa. The reasons are multifactorial. First, demographics. Elsewhere, most mortality occurred in the elderly, when in Africa the average age is much lower. Then, climate. It's possible that more temperate zones didn't suit the virus. And then, genetic explanations and generally, better immunity to disease. It could also be that deaths were underreported. But as Professor Tobori says, there was ripple effect of early lockdowns that could also have played a major part in saving African nations from more serious consequences. In Nigeria, like many other countries in the world, the pandemic exposed flaws in the health system and faults in the way that national government reacted to these unprecedented events. Next, I asked Professor Tomori about how science can or should contribute to the pandemic policies. Is, is there an implication in that in terms of our research, research advice, you know, to government on what to do? You know, are we contributing in that line in a way that government will do a policy that will say, yes, this is the way we are going and is backed by research. We're doing research for the world, not for ourselves. Although we're part of the world, we're neglecting the part of us in our research. Everybody's doing a machine, everybody's doing whatever, like this and that, all over. So which we must test this in. Are there other things in your own area that are actually preventing COVID? Well, we're making lip service to that kind of research. Simple thing like I just mentioned, how much, how easy is it to spread COVID in an air-conditioned office as compared to outside there? Those are the kind of things we should be looking at. And then so that we provide them and address our government. Should our government have locked down? It should come from us, our research, not from what they're seeing in Europe. It should come from us and say, look, we have looked at it that there was no need for lockdown. If you do this one, rather than say lockdown, we say avoid areas where there's going to be congregation of people like churches, like parties, like all those things. If you put an emphasis on those, that okay, don't go to big parties because you know you can't keep. I won't start dancing and start singing. Forget it. You cannot yeah. wear your mask. Yeah. Therefore, those are the areas which should have isolated. Is it possible for us to lock down, you know, the continent in terms of not letting people come in? Because that yeah. was a point that certain countries were noted that should not come, I think, to the U.S. Yeah, and, uh, and so on and so Is it possible for us at the African level, at the African Union level, to say that, yes, this is happening in Europe, in these places, don't come? The, the decision to lock down is a country decision. It cannot be a continental thing. Every country must look at its own situation. I mean, for example, it's not everybody uh, coming from, let's say, there's a problem in India. Indian people don't go to every country in Africa. 
Therefore, each country will look at its own and say, look, look at response. Yeah, look at response. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So we can't really have a continental approach to that. Yeah. Each country must do its own and look at their own situation yeah. and say, look, don't come from here or go from here. Otherwise, even South Africa, we normally let them come into our place. Hmm. There are other emerging infectious diseases, you know, coming up in the future. Are we prepared? No, we are not. <laughs> I mean, you know, from what we see, we're not. And I'll give you, you see, well, maybe we're learning a few lessons slowly, like DR Congo. They're doing well with Ebola. They're managing, repeated. If Ebola, of course, in Guinea, well, we're lucky. At the time, there was a second case of Ebola in Guinea, and they, they, they performed creditably well. But the longer interval between epidemics, the more we relax and the less prepared we are. I think we need to get that information to our people that the, 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 the liberty from epidemics is eternal vigilance. You have to, it's not a holiday thing. We go on holiday from surveillance. We can't dare to do that. So liberty surveillance, from epidemics is eternal, eternal vigilance. vigilance. Yes. Wow. So that means, you know, you, you, the only way you can is that you are constantly in your surveillance in place. Your surveillance cannot go on, on holidays. It has to be a regular thing. Now, unfortunately, the side of it that the world doesn't understand, if your surveillance is good and there's no epidemic, then they don't even see what you're doing until the epidemic comes. But then we don't want to wait for the epidemic to come. See what happened with COVID and see the way the world was in, thrown in disarray. By the time you lose that, and then I also say one thing, global health security is anchored on national health security. If, I mean, epidemic don't start all over the world at the same time. It starts from a place. Where it's going to start off, I don't know. Therefore, each country must prepare as if the epidemic is going to start from you. So just, just like in treatment, you know, the referral system, yeah. you know, from the local, mm -hmm. you know, to mm -hmm. the secondary, then to tertiary, exactly. then to specialist, exactly. and then to even global. Exactly. Mm. So that, the starting point must be as strong in surveillance as the highest level. Do you have hope that Africa can respond to public health crisis in the future, especially when it comes to response to diseases like COVID that requires vaccine? I mean, I have to have hope. We all have to have hope. Otherwise, we give up. And it is the hope we have that is making us to talk what we're talking now, that where do we go wrong? What can we improve? Because whether we like it or not, whether we have hope or not, the epidemics are there. The pathogens are there. They are there to infect us. So it is the hope we have that we do well that pushes us to do the right thing. We must continue to have that hope. The, the only person that should be hopeless is the one that is dead. Of course, he has nothing else to hope for. But each of us still alive, we must have hope that we can do better than we did last year. Otherwise, I would not be, I mean, see the generation of my parents, what they were able to do. I, I give, used to give a good example. The house that my father had, where he housed all the, his RM and the 300 of us, is that the house I want to inherit? How many of you? No, we just second. <laughs> you know, no, but there are three hundred. No, the the, the the official number yeah. of those survived is about thirty-seven. Mm. But you know, in those days of childhood mortality, <clears throat> we must have lost almost the same number. So it was like Solomon. Yeah, close to that, you know. So the, the the point is that I used to talk about it. Listen, 
I'm not going to look and want to inherit my father's house in Elisha. Yeah. No, my children want to inherit where we are now. Because right now they even have a better place than I have. No, with their children want to inherit even their own house because by that time things would have been better. That's the hope we have. And we keep pushing on and say, look, you know, things must be better for the future generation than for me. Can Africa produce its own vaccine locally? We are. Looking at all the innovations and other are. experiences from the past? No, we are. Okay. It is sustainability that is the problem. Hmm. Where you have different governments that have different opinions, that have different policies, and you cannot sustain what you have. You're not building up on what you have. That's what is happening. Are there examples of African countries cool. that are producing? Let me even start without going too far out of Nigeria. There's a veterinary research institute involved. They've been producing vaccines in 1924. What happened? How did they do it? Yaba was producing vaccine <clears throat> years. That's in Lagos. Before. Yeah, in the Lagos one. Until we had changes of government and all that. Why didn't the change of government affect affect VOM? Those are the questions we should be looking at. What did they do to be able to maintain that? That's what our scientists and researchers should be looking into. What lessons do they have from this? One vaccine is for if animals. Animals. It's animal vaccines. Okay. But there are other countries that have been producing vaccines before. You know, Senegal have been producing yellow fever since for, since time I knew them for a long, long time. They are still producing. Which country? But Senegal. But if you look at the behind that, and I keep saying it, and that's the thing that I, when you say it, people say we have no communist people. Without the Institute Pasteur being involved in what is happening in Senegal, exactly. they probably won't be producing vaccine today. Hmm. So why? Yeah. What, is, what is the Institute Pasteur doing that we need to do here? Yeah. Uh, a few other countries in Africa, in the northern, in the northern yeah. parts, they are much better than us. Yeah. Tunisia, Algeria. I mean, see what they're doing. They're much, you know, much better, let me put it that way. They're producing vaccines, maybe not the same type of vaccines. Yeah. South Africa is doing well now. So let's hope in Africa. But then the, the greatest error Africa will make is for each country to start producing vaccine hmm. because okay. we will not be able to control the market. Hmm. And unfortunately, four, five, ten years ago, there was an African Vaccine Manufacturing Initiative, which had already gone around and said, look, on regional basis, let's have vaccine production in Africa. Not every country producing vaccine. Okay. Tunisia, you produce X. Senegal is already producing yellow fever, so keep producing yellow fever. Nigeria, you produce X or Y. We will all buy from you. Hmm. So when and we need that yellow fever, yeah, exactly, then you buy from us. Hmm. So every you know, so that way, sustainability is there. Hmm. So all of Africa's needs for yellow fever vaccine will be sourced from, from Senegal. Hmm. You know, all of Africans, uh, whatever, whatever Nigeria is producing, will be sourced from Nigeria. Then those things are viable. And Africa become, become self-sufficient in every vaccine. But at least one, two, three, four. And when you have something, when it comes to negotiation, then yeah. you can negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. If I have X vaccine and you have Y, then we can use that to negotiate. I don't have vaccine, you have Y. You can tell me whatever condition you want to sell your own because I don't have anything. Take the example of what happened when Britain decided that, you know, they had this rag, red, amber, green, yes. you know, for bringing people into Europe. And the rest of us who were using COVID, which they didn't make in Europe, were in the red zone. Hmm. I mean, we couldn't go into Europe because we were using COVID made in India. So what did Africa do? Africa went to Britain and accused them of uh, inequity, or racism, or that. What did India do? India said, me, I have COVID. COVID, uh, what is their own shield? COVID shield. 
you have Kovi whatever. If you don't take my Kovi shield, I won't take your Kovi. Britain capitulated. And the following day, the rest of us who were using coffee began to ride on the Indian train to London. Hmm. So, you know, this is the thing. You have to have something. Yeah, you need to have something, yeah. You know, you can't go to a negotiating table with nothing. Hmm. When you go there with your raw materials, you get a raw deal. Hmm. When you get a, you bring nothing, you get a nothing deal. Hmm. That's it. So, there is hope. There is hope. There has to be hope. Hmm. I, think, I keep saying, I should not be talking to you if I have no hope. And we should not be discussing what we're discussing if there's no hope for us in Africa. There has to be hope. But it is the human being who makes sure that that hope is translated into reality. Thank you so much. Sir. My pleasure, sir. If I was to take one piece of advice from this conversation, it would be liberty from epidemics is eternal vigilance. There's much work to be done to avert another health crisis. But it seems the will among African scientists, such as Professor Yewali Tomori, is there to improve national and pan-African policies for the future. Now, that's all for this episode of Science in Africa podcast. I'm Akinjimo, Chief Editor of Nature Africa. Thanks again to Professor Yewali Tomori, and thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.